Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Hello, welcome back to Electric Ideas. I'm your host, Whitney Baker. I'm thrilled to have Sandy Cohen on the podcast today. Sandy is a writer and health and wellness expert. She left behind a super duper glamorous journalism career for a life that brings her a much deeper sense of peace and meaning. Hey, Sandy, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, good. I'm so glad to have you here. And one of the reasons that I immediately just your story caught my attention is because I feel like you had one of those careers that somebody makes this kind of like cliche movie about almost because it's so cool and it looks so good on the outside. But since then, you have left that. And I know that's like a a lot to start with, but I feel like Can you ground my listeners a little bit in your backstory so we can understand kind of where your journey began? Yes. And you know what I just thought of is that moment at the end of Devil Wears Prada where she throws her cell phone into the fountain. That was me. I threw my cell phone into the fountain metaphorically. So I I was a Hollywood entertainment reporter. That was my job. I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for more than 20 years. And I got a job with a very big agency, like a worldwide news agency, and I covered entertainment. So that means my job was to like go to the Oscars, go to the Golden Globes, go to the MTV Awards, go to the Grammys and interview the people who are getting awards. So interview famous people. And and it really it was exciting. Of course, it was exciting. Right. Of course, it was exciting. But it was also really challenging. Like it was a demanding job. It's a competitive job because in the news business, it's all about breaking news. It's all about who gets the news first. And of course, it also has to be accurate. So there's a lot of pressure. Like the managers would tell us, break news, break news, break news. So you're always kind of hustling on that. The hours are really variable because sometimes you're working into the evening. Like if I was to cover an event at night, then when I got home at like 11 or 12, I would have to start writing. And you're up into the middle of the night. And other times I had to be up at the crack. Like, you know, the nominations are announced very early in the morning on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. So that was super. So hours were variable. It was a demanding job is what I'm trying to say. And for as fun as it was and as exciting as it was to go to these events and and dress up and meet these people who I really admire, it also was, it took a lot out of me and it didn't feel like this is what life's about. Like, I didn't love it enough to be willing to sacrifice all that I was sacrificing. And when I say all that I was sacrificing, I mean, I was really ultimately kind of sacrificing my health and well-being. The hours were really difficult. It was, I did a lot of drinking on this job because a lot of the events had, you know, they have parties, they have bars and I would just drink. And, and so I think that I had trouble reconciling within myself, like, is it okay to not love this? And what does it mean to not love this when everybody thinks it's awesome? What does it mean to not love this when I'm in Devil Wears Prada? And, you know, I wasn't really in Devil Wears Prada, but you know what I mean? So so I had trouble reconciling that. 
I also had trouble reconciling the fact that journalism jobs had diminished a great deal from the time that I started. Like when I started, there were newspapers in every city and we all know that's not the case now. So, so I was looking at the fact that like, oh, I'm just lucky to have a job in journalism, even if I don't love this. Why didn't I love it? Part of why I didn't love it is because I felt like people could really engage with the lives of celebrities to the detriment of engaging with their own life. Like we would, you know, totally tune in like, oh, you know, what's Jennifer Lawrence? Oh, she married to that guy. Like, and not even think about like, what are we doing with our own relationships or, or tune into the aspirations of, of entertainers who we like and not even tune into our own aspirations. And I felt like that was, I didn't want to be contributing to that. And then at the risk of alienating folks, I also felt like politically we were very much engaged in celebrity and not really engaged in like political news, real national news, real world news. And that kind of stuff could lead to the election of a reality star as a president. And all of these things came together for me. I think if the job had been easier, like less demanding on me, I might've been able to continue doing it and, and just try to find my, my niche and my purpose outside of it. But as it happened you know, that wasn't the case. It it took a lot out of me. And I had to recognize that my health was really failing. I was having a lot of trouble. I had some like mental health, you know, sort of issues. Like I just, I got depressed and, and I had to listen to myself. I've heard this before. You probably have two, your listeners have two that like, if you don't get the message on the first round, it's going to get louder and it's going to get louder. And that's kind of what happened to me. I tried to say, oh, well, you know, my job doesn't have to fulfill my purpose. My job just has to give me a paycheck and I can do my purpose on my own time. Or I'm going to set better boundaries and I just won't work as many hours and things like that. But the message kept getting louder and louder. And that ultimately manifested itself in like me feeling really, really depressed to the point that I felt like I couldn't get out of bed. It felt like I had some weird flu that had no fever. Like, so I had to, I had to acknowledge that. And so that's how I was able to finally, ultimately, try to shift gears. Did I answer the question? Did I go like way off the rails? No, that was okay. an awesome. <laughs> awesome answer. I absolutely loved it. And I, I fully value and appreciate what you're saying about how it was almost like, it feels to me like this uncomfortable truth of the fact that you didn't want to be doing that anymore was whispering and then <laughs> not whispering anymore to a point where you just could not, not listen to it. Is that fair? Absolutely. Well, and plus, like for me, the drinking actually played a big role too, because I started considering like, okay, so I was in my like 40s when I was when this knocking got really loud. And I was thinking, okay, I have to work for like another 20 years, right? Like I have to work. I I need my paycheck. If I do this for another 20 years, I'm gonna be an alcoholic or I'm gonna fall apart. Like I just thought I'm already spent. I don't have 20 more years of this in me. And I'm someone who like, I like to work. I'm a hard worker. I'm very success driven. Like I like it. It's not like I was trying to shirk the work itself. It was just like, it, it can't be this. Cause this is like, it's just ringing me all the way out. I have nothing left. So that's where it came to that point. When I would looked at what my future is going to be, I thought if I do that, I'm not going to make it another 20 years doing this. Like, I'm just not going to make it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I knew in my very heart of hearts that I wasn't going to make it. And it's interesting too, because I knew early in this job that I was like, "Mm, I don't know if this is such a good fit for me, but it was so exciting that it was like, well, I'll make it a good fit, you know, but there's only so much we can really force ourselves into a certain shape. Right. That makes absolute sense. And I, 
I feel like the fact that there were so many fun and again, from an outside perspective, like such that, that glamor that it, it almost makes it harder to detach versus if you knew you were in this job, that was something you'd never signed up for or your parents made you do, you know, I, I think it's even more complicated emotionally when you do have parts of you that are passionate still, you know, so I get that. Absolutely. It makes me think something that I don't think is talked about a lot, especially for women who pivot professionally at some point in their life when they have some invested a lot of time or felt a certain level of success already in their career. How did you deal with this massive identity shift? Because you were no longer Sandy, the Hollywood reporter, the glitterati. And I even think... I hate it, but it's true. You go to the cocktail party and inevitably you get your drink and someone's like, no, oh, what do you do? You know, and that had to be such a huge part of your identity. Well, early on in that job, I had broadened my identity beyond that position because early on, as I mentioned before, early on, I kind of knew and that this might not be the best fit and who am I outside this job? And I had given so much to the job to do it well. Like I really, really care about doing my work well, even if it's work that I'm not well aligned with, like I still want to perform well. So I had expanded my identity beyond the job early on, which I think was helpful, but yes, you know, then you have that thing. And I had come up with like a really good answer to that. If people were like, so what do you do? I would say stuff like, oh, I really enjoy life or this was before COVID, I'd be like, I love to travel or I'd answer with something that had nothing to do with my profession. I think the identity shift, you know, it, it reminds me of these sort of elements of wellness uh, that we talk about in health coaching where occupational is only one of them and there's six. So if you think about your identity in, in the context of these elements of wellness, like social, emotional, physical, spiritual, then I think you can create or you can at least recognize that there's more to you than than your work. Of course there is. Of course there is. I mean, I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a sister. I'm a wife. I'm a active member of my community. I'm a jogger. I'm, you know, I'm a meditator. I'm a journaler, all these things. So, so I think that that really helped. And also because my closest people, like my family and my friends, they knew how much this job was taking out of me. So they weren't They weren't looking at me like, oh, who are you now? They were like, yeah, Sandy, you should probably leave that job. Like, it seems like it's really messing with you. So when your close circle of supporters are there for you, then how my identity appears to people who I don't know is so much less important. And on the other side of this, like now that I'm through this, you know, transition part, I've recognized that, you know, you never know who you're inspiring. There are people who I worked with in that previous career who are like, wow, I really admire what you're doing, you know, now that I've really embraced working in health and wellness. And and that's awesome and so unexpected because just like people might have thought of me when I had that job, like, wow, you must love it. You're like in the center of everything. You're so fancy. Not everybody who works in that industry feels that way. And so that has been just a wonderfully refreshing and really gratifying thing to, to experience now that people that, you know, some of my former colleagues are like, wow, I really admire what you're doing. I never obviously didn't do it so that people would be like, I admire you, but that's what I just mean. You, you don't know who you're inspiring. So I think that transition in identity was not as difficult as it might've seemed. 
Okay. So my question for you is for women who are in a path, it might be career. It just might be a place in life where they have a feeling like you had, or maybe it's a whisper. Maybe it's that louder knock. They know they need to make a change, but they don't have any clarity on what could be on the other side. They're kind of like, well, what else would I do? What could I do? So they just stay stuck and they stay doing the same year after year. What advice would you have for this woman? So I would suggest really first to give yourself grace, you know, making changes, not easy. And, and it's important to give yourself grace at the same time, honor that nudge inside you. Don't wait until you're on your back with depression. Like I did. I mean, if if you can avoid that, (laughs) avoid it and honor, honor that pull inside you, give yourself grace and then plan ahead. If you can, I planned for about a year before I left that entertainment reporter job. And during that time, I like built my website and sort of started to try to think about what else I might do. So that was really helpful. Then I didn't feel like, well, now that's done. What the hell am I going to do next? Another thing is, you know, it can really feel, and this is how I felt. I felt like I was like jumping into the abyss. Like I was I had been a journalist for all these years. That was the job that I knew to do. I had always worked full time. Like ever since I graduated from college, I worked full time. And now I was going to, I wasn't leaving that job to go to another job. I was leaving that job to go to nothing. And I remember saying to my husband, I feel like I'm just like jumping into the abyss. And he said, but once you do it, you're going to find out it's as easy as stepping off of a curb. And To be fair, you know, it wasn't like that easy. (laughs) It wasn't just like stepping off of a curb. But but the truth is, is that all of the experience that I had gained, it's not like I was leaving that behind at the old job. That was coming with me. And I think that's another important thing for people to recognize when they're getting ready to make a shift that everything that you've learned and developed in yourself in terms of skills and identities and all the things that you've done, those are coming with you. You are not starting from scratch. And that's so important because so many of these skills and things that we've developed are transferable and they'll transfer to your next thing. You can also intentionally look for something that allows you to apply what you already have, your natural gifts and the skills you've acquired. So I think that's important to recognize because I certainly felt like, oh no, now I'm adrift. And I did feel adrift a little bit, but the truth is, is that I, no one was going to take from me those decades of journalism that I had already done. My ability to talk to strangers and engage them, like that was, that was all coming with me. So, so that was, that was really helpful. And I'm sure everybody who's in a position where they're trying to make a change, there's a lot of your skills and gifts that are going to come with you and apply to your next thing. And I would say that, you know what, it also takes it takes courage and you deserve it. This is your life. This is your life. Don't toil away for decades and more half alive because you don't like it or you know it doesn't speak to your soul. Like this is your life. Life isn't starting later. Life isn't starting when you retire. Life is happening now. So love yourself enough to know that you are worth making these changes. It won't be easy. It might not be easy, but, but it's worth it. What could be more important than your life? So, so I think that really remembering that and letting that sort of fuel that courage can be really helpful. And you'll have to remind yourself often. Another thing I would say is get your support system in place. I had mentioned earlier that, you know, my friends and my family 
already knew that this job was like taking a lot out of me. So they were very supportive of like, oh yeah, you're going to do it. Oh, you're totally going to find something. You're going to land on your feet. And that was really helpful for those moments of doubt. But, you know, most importantly, like this is our life. Let's live it. Let's live it up. Let's not, let's not wait for it to start later. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that, I mean, that's a really powerful message and I'm sure something that will hit hard with listeners and hopefully inspire them. And for those who have this whisper and they're maybe even inspired by your words and they don't want to get to the point where it's like debilitating, what are, what are some of the practices that you recommend dipping a toe into? Like, where could they start just to kind of try to invite in this sense of possibility for this shift and change and eventual inner peace that you've done such a great job cultivating? Thank you. Well, I think it's it's really important to recognize that your identity is more than just one thing. And I mean, and that's just a fact. It, you may not have cultivated these other parts of your identity, but they are there. So, so to reach into that and embrace that and know that I'm not just this job, I'm all these other things. I think that can really help even just taking a moment to, to just notice that. And then maybe the next step is add a little more energy to that. So, so if you feel very much like enveloped by your work, as I did, one of the things that really helped me was taking walks outside and just taking walks outside and listening to music and then remembering like, oh yeah, I'm the type of person who likes to take walks and listen to music. That has nothing to do with my job. That is something I could do whether or not I have this job. So that's a super simple example, but I think it's, it points to something that we can develop further and recognizing that our identity is multifaceted. There are many components that make up a healthy person and occupation is just, is just one of them or, or your role within your family. I mean, if people who are parents feel like there's nothing beyond my being a parent, I'm not a parent, so I don't speak to this from personal wisdom, but, but just applying this notion of we all occupy more than one role to enrich the parts of you that aren't a parent. I mean, I know you're always a parent, but you know what I mean? Enrich the parts of you that, what did you love to do before you were a parent? Or what do you love to do in addition to being a parent and put some energy there? I think that can really help. That certainly helped me. I remember somebody told me, you know, and I might've mentioned this earlier, that that your job doesn't have to satisfy your every desire in life. It just has to provide you with the paycheck. And I was like, oh yeah. And that was really helpful to me. Ultimately, I decided to leave the job anyway, because even the paycheck, you know, wasn't compensating for these health issues that I mentioned. But but it's a good reminder that one thing doesn't have to satisfy your everything. They say this about romantic relationships, too. Like, just because you have a romantic partner doesn't mean that you don't need your friends and other relationships in, in your life. So I think that's important, too, to just recognize that we don't have to rely on just one thing to to satisfy the whole of who we are and developing those other areas will give you the fortitude to to just see how how big a being you are you know that you're you're really not limited we we feel limited and i felt very limited in that job like oh this is this is all i'm qualified to do now but and it ends up just not being true absolutely i mean i think just in whether you identify with your work or your family or your home or whatever you're doing, I feel like we're all multifaceted beings and it's just an invitation to get curious about what really lights you up outside of maybe something that you've been spending a lot of time on, but that doesn't have to define 
everything, right? And in fact, it can't define everything. Like whether we want to or not, we are multifaceted. We play multiple roles in life. I'm different when I'm at work than when I'm in my home. I'm different with my mom than I am like with my friends, you know? And I mean, I'm not different, different. I mean that I'm playing a different role in those relationships and we are just by our very nature as human beings, we are multifaceted and sometimes developing these areas, maybe overlooked or neglected areas can can just enrich us and and be like, help us remember, oh yeah, I'm a lot. I'm awesome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now that you've gotten to a place of clarity and, and kind of just living in a totally different way than it sounds like you were, I'm wondering if you would have gone to coffee with a friend, let's say when you were in the throes of your celeb days, what do you wish someone would have gently, lovingly said to you sooner that would have really prevented you from getting so far down the path that it became debilitating? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it would have come from a friend. I think that ultimately I, cause I remember I have these two real good girlfriends who, who work in the entertainment industry and we would regularly go to dinner and for years before I left the job, I was like, I want to do something like that has to do with healing. I want to do something that has to do with health. So those stirrings were there. I think what I really needed to hear was from my own self to say, Sandy, that's worth pursuing. You can do that. Like your own desire is enough. And, and you don't need that outside validation. And don't forget, like, certainly in this kind of professional realm that we're talking about, the other people who were in that industry were as wrapped into that energy as I was. So I don't even know that it would have come from them. And even my other, like my other friends who who don't work in that industry, they would, they would always encourage me to just, yeah, you should do, do what feels good, you know, do what makes sense. So I think ultimately it had to come from me to say that even though this looks so glamorous on the outside, even though when I tell people what I do, they're like, wow, sounds like you have a dream job. Like that if it doesn't feel like a dream job to me, that that's enough. That's enough to respect and act upon. And my life is mine. Like I'm the one living it. So if it doesn't feel good to me, who cares if a million people think it feels good because I'm the one who's doing it. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't feel good. So I don't know that it would have come from a friend, although, as I mentioned before, I think it was really helpful to know that I had the support of my friends and family. And even these two gals who I'm mentioning who I had the regular dinners with, once I made the transition, we still have these dinners. We don't talk about the, you know, Academy Awards or whatever, but, but we, but they, they're so for it. They're, they think it's awesome, you know, that I'm so much happier and that I was able to, to make that leap. So I don't know, don't wait for someone to tell you, tell yourself and, and then respect it and honor it in yourself. Your word is as important as anybody else's and probably more so since you're the one living your life. Right. Yeah. I think what you just hit on for me just really resonated in the moment too. You said, if it doesn't feel good to you, then who cares? And it can be as simple as that. It's hard because I think we care. Oh, all of us do. I certainly do. Like we care what other people think about us and we care how we appear in the world. But when it comes right down to it, you're the one living your life. You're the one who knows yourself best. Others can't know what's inside of you. And And even though we've been acculturated to sort of not honor that and care more about like how cute we are and whatever, 
what really matters is how you feel. This is, as I mentioned before, this is your life and we don't know how long we get. So time is is of the essence in many ways and, and your own feelings about it are valid and worthy enough to act upon. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Okay. So I know we're we're coming up on time, but I I do want to make, make room to talk about one more thing. Cause one of the reasons I love what you put out is because I agree. It seems like there's this notion that for kind of the everyday woman, whether you're working kids, whatever life life's kind of happening to you. And it would almost take some big dramatic going to the mountains for two weeks to a, a retreat to, to break away. And I feel like you debunk that and you call that out. And I'm just curious what, what you have to say about that. Well, I think that, I mean, like a meditation teacher would say that peace is as close as your next breath. I haven't gotten to that point in my own personal practice that that's the case for me, but truly we are the only ones thinking inside our head. Like I'm the only one who thinks inside my head and it does take effort to change your thoughts, to be aware of what your thoughts are, and then to change them. But the great news is, is that's a, that's a one-person job. You don't have to wait for anybody to do that for you. You don't have to wait for you know some outside force or the retreat of a lifetime to do that. You can do that. And I think it's important to remember because it's even if it's not as close as one breath away without you know a lot, some practice, it really is entirely within our hands. So what can you do to shift the way you're thinking? You could splash cold water on your face. You could go step outside. Like if I've noticed recently, if I get like all worked up over something, I'm like, you know what? Like I start to feel worked up, stand up, go walk outside. Just go walk outside. Just go walk outside and see maybe there's somebody walking their dog outside. Maybe I see a bird flying by and just shift your mindset. It does. It's not like that lasts forever. Oh, I walked outside. Now I'm just in bliss for the rest of time. But I'm talking about being able to to shift your mindset in the moment. The good news is is that you have the power to do that. You don't need anyone else to help you do that. And then I think there are practices you can put in place that make that a little easier. One is to get enough sleep. Get enough sleep. If you can allow yourself to get enough sleep, you will have more resilience. It's just automatic. It's biological. And that's so important. And that was something I really prioritized once I left that job with its crazy hours was to get enough sleep. The funny thing is, is that the simple things that you've always heard are the things that work. Get enough sleep, get some fresh air, don't eat too much junk, get a little movement. So I, I think that that cultivating peace is something that's an everlasting project. It's something that we always work. It's like getting in shape, right? It's not like you get in shape and now you never go to the gym again. I mean, you go jogging and you get in shape and then you keep doing it. And that's how you stay in shape. I think that cultivating a sense of peace works the same way, but you can start right now. You don't have to wait for anything and then you can practice it. That's what's worked for me. And over time I've put in, put more practices in place because I've been able to sort of create a little more space to, to put them in. But I think it's a mistake to expect it to come from outside or from some special experience that we've worked up. Like we can just, we can take the initiative and try to create it now. I will add one more thing. I have a hummingbird feeder outside my window. I hung it up at the beginning of the pandemic. And it is a constant reminder of joy. It There's not always a bird on it, but when there's a bird on it and I look out the window, 
I can instantly like have this little taste of joy, of nature, of spontaneity. This bird does not care about the pandemic. This bird does not care that I'm stressed out by an assignment. This bird is just being a hummingbird in its natural perfection. And that can provide just a moment of respite, a moment of escape, a moment where I'm not like, oh, I'm in the stress cycle or I'm, you know, ruminating over, over a, a thought or an issue. So that's been so helpful to me. I keep saying it's like the best $11 I ever spent. I love my hummingbird feeder. <laughs> I love the hummingbird feeder. That's amazing. And I totally get what you say. Cause obviously it's a journey and you've been on this, you know, you've been on this journey for more than a decade. It's not like all this transition happened overnight, but it it's kind of having the bravery to take those steps too. I feel like the small things. And with that, I, I wonder, I mean, I love the hummingbird thing. Is there anything else that just seems super simple and actionable that you've, you do kind of on a regular natural basis now that you didn't used to do that you feel like other women could adopt without a major habit change, you know, or invite into their life? It takes a habit change to a certain extent because you have to be aware that it's there and then you have to remember to do it. Like for the longest time I knew about meditation and I had been told like, oh, that would be really beneficial to you. But knowing about it and knowing it would be beneficial and then actually doing it are two totally separate things. I think that meditation can be really helpful. I'm still a relative beginner. I've had a mindfulness practice that's been consistent for maybe a year and change, but I started with like a two or three minute. So if you can take two or three minutes, you can get free apps. Insight timer is free, or you can just set a timer, you know, just your regular phone timer and just feel what it feels like to stop and sit and be in yourself and not do anything for just a couple of minutes, truly two minutes. It might not feel restorative. It might feel like, well, my thoughts are going bonkers, but, but this is a practice that you can begin. I love the foot meditation I tell my coaching clients about this all the time. This is something you can actually do anywhere, anytime, and it takes less than one minute. Okay, here's what you do. You put your feet on the floor, especially if you're standing. Right now I'm sitting, but I'm putting my feet on the floor. You put your feet on the floor, and then you just notice your feet. So often we go through our day, we never even like really think about our feet unless they hurt, unless we're wearing heels and they hurt, right? So you just think about your feet and feel them on the floor. And feel the floor, just tune in for a second to the floor underneath your feet. And then I, I like to balance my feet between toes and heels, between inner foot and outer foot, between left foot and right foot. Even sitting here, I'm able to do it. And then you just feel that sort of balance of your feet. Your feet are on the floor. The floor is underneath you, supporting you. And for those few seconds... I wasn't thinking about my to-do list. I wasn't thinking about things that people are expecting from me. I wasn't thinking about anything else except my precious feet, which take me everywhere I want to go. And this is a great one to do if you are in line, if you're in line at the supermarket, especially if you feel yourself getting impatient, if you're in line at, in line at DMV, just tune into your feet. You know, God willing, your feet are always with you and, and you could just feel that connection. So I love that. I actually do that or I'll sometimes stand up right here at my desk and just do it. And that's super easy. You don't have to have any meditation practice at all to, to do that. And I don't know if you felt it, but even just now I felt a little escape, just a little. Yeah. I, I have to admit that that was my first footman. I couldn't help but kind of close my eyes and just like fall into that. Like, hmm, that did feel good. 
I love the foot meditation. Oh, good. That's I love so it cool. too. It's so, it's so accessible. Like it's, yes. you don't have to like, Oh, I got to get a meditation cushion and sit here for 30 minutes. No, no, just do it on your feet for one, one minute. Yeah. And one thing I'll say too, is like, I love sometimes in our society, you know, like the waiting in line and that sort of thing, it, instead of opening up a phone and kind of feeling more overwhelmed, which is kind of a common thing, maybe just being like, wow, maybe this could be something more restorative and a pause and a break from consuming or doing. I'm I'm so glad you said that because I have consciously tried not to do that. If I'm in a waiting room, I have consciously made it, made a real effort to just let me not look at my phone. Let me just not, because I'm here. If I'm looking at my phone, I'm, I am not here. I'm in here, you know? And, and I think that actually that in and of itself, I'm so glad you mentioned that that in and of itself can give you some peace. You don't need constant stimulation. The world is stimulating enough. We're going to see our phone enough. We're not going to miss any time on Instagram or TikTok or anything like it's all, we, we get plenty of it. And, and when you're just present in the moment, even if you're in line, even if it's boring, that's part of life and you're there and you might see some, you might see a child playing on the shopping cart or, you know, you might see like an old couple holding hands. Like you don't know what you will notice, but, but it's not in your phone. And, and I do think that that's really important. I think that we can be so hyper stimulated. And I don't know if you're like me, like I'll look at my phone and then it's talking about some, you know, I see somebody beautiful and it's talking about some kind of face cream. And now I'm already on the site trying to buy the face cream. It's like, you're going down this whole road. <laughs> <laughs> the rabbit hole is real. I hear, I hear you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love that. I'm definitely going to try to incorporate that. I do something that I'm working on. That's almost called peace breaks where it's just like two minutes. So sometimes if I have a busy day, a full day, I just like two minutes where I know between things that I just intentionally do nothing Just stop. Yeah. But I like the intention with the feet because that almost gives me something to anchor to. So that's cool. And I don't have to be home or in private. So thank you for sharing that practice. All right. We've covered, you know, some of the practical rituals that have helped your transformation. And I love that you're sharing this mindfulness practice with the feet. I'm going to definitely incorporate it right away. So the last thing, cause I know, I know we got to close out here. I always ask my guests, cause I'm a, a writer and a journaler, and I know you're a writer too. I like to say if there one question that women should be asking themselves more, and I ask this in the sense that maybe if you're prone to journaling, people might want to write about it or just have a more meaningful conversation with a friend, you know, talk about that or just something to reflect on. So what's one question that women should be asking themselves right now? This is one that I'm working on right now, and I've heard it in a lot of venues, and that is creating this vision of like your ideal future self or ultimate Sandy, or, you know, like this vision of who, who I wish to become, who I intend to become and, and spend some time with that vision. I don't know this, this might not be something necessarily to discuss with a friend because this is pretty personal, but certainly to discuss in a journal or even just to spend time with in a daydream to, to really see 
see that person and how is she doing and what is she like and and what is she feeling like and what is her environment like and how is she relating to her friends and how is she relating to challenges that come up like tech challenges and other challenges and and I think that this is something that I want to do more of I'm on this self-help reading mission I kind of always am but especially am now and and this book that I read was even suggested spending a couple minutes doing this every morning to tune into that vision every morning. I I haven't done that, but I have been spending some time kind of writing about this in my, in my journal and just even envisioning it when I'm on a walk, I like to walk almost every day and just, you know, kind of just have a little teeny daydream into that vision. And I think it's important because not only does it help us connect to the vision of what is possible but in a way it kind of brings us a little closer because we can we can tap into like what does that feel like what is she doing and then we can feel like that and we can do that stuff so it's not just pie in the sky visionary hopefulness it's it's sort of feeling that vision and then beginning to take little micro steps to make it tangible I love that question and I love that reflection because another thing that has felt very real for me was kind of allowing that in. And this ties back to our entire conversation. So this is so perfect. There, We all have such a multifaceted pieces of us. And sometimes like a small, like maybe, maybe there's something like you would stop and swim in the middle of the day. And a lot of times it's like, well, is that something you really can't do? <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's just a realization that you can step into pieces of your longings without the whole kitten caboodle change, right? Absolutely. And then you can see it actually, I think even feels more possible because if your ideal future self, you know, cooks fabulous food, well, I mean, I can cook in my kitchen tonight if I go to the grocery store, you know? So, so I think that it, it makes it feel just a little, a little closer and, and the, the scientists and the thought leaders will tell you that having that vision and connecting to it is exactly how you make it start to come true, that it, it gives you a little bit of power and oomph to be like, oh yeah, there she is. And I'm like, I'm right here. I I'm right close to it. So, so that's something I want to do more because I it's, it's exciting to connect to that vision. It's inspiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have no doubt that your, your transformation and your bravery are going to inspire so many of my listeners. So I want to thank you for being on today. And I'm sure that they're going to want more Sandy in their life. So tell us how we can flock to you, support you. Where can we find you? Oh, thank you so much. So my podcast is called Inner Peace to Go. And I'm interested in all this type of stuff. And I'm interested in how we can, what kinds of tips and actionable things can we do to bring more peace, cultivate more peace in our lives and just more ease, less stress. So that's inner peace to go wherever you get your podcasts. And then you can connect with me on social. I'm at, you know, Sandy on Instagram and Twitter. Fantastic. Okay. We'll make sure everything's in the show notes too, for all those who are on the go or scribbling notes. And I just want to thank you again. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too, Whitney. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at WhitneyWoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.